All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fuck steens? What the fuckowitzes? What the fuckbergs? What the fuckmans? What's happening? What is happening? This is, I guess that's a, spe- a special opening for the Jewish what the fuckers. Is everything all right? It isn't, right? It just isn't. I mean, Tina Turner is dead. It's just not all right. Another force of nature is now shuffling hard, sometimes slow and fast off this mortal coil. What a fucking amazing performer. What an, what an amazing person. What an amazing woman. I think I have more, like there are some artists that I have in my collection that I have a lot of records, a lot of their records. And Ike and Tina are, are, are one of those uh, artists. I have a lot of those records. And man, the really early ones, I know she became bigger, stronger, and more pronounced and amazing as a solo performer once she detached herself from the monster. But those very early recordings are quite insanely painful and amazing to listen to. And I listen to them often. And I didn't know her. And I, I haven't really known what she's been up to. But knowing she's gone is uh, it's just another, another monumental fury of charisma and power removed removed one of the good the good forces of nature taken away jesus i'm stumbling through this like like kendall roy at the eulogy holy fuck i'm just uh look she wasn't young and she was ill but it's just sad that this generation of people that had such a profound impact on so many and especially my generation i am late boomer tail end there's a whole generation of artists and and amazing performers that are just slowly being picked off by uh by mortality being picked off by the unseen hand as it happens naturally i'm just sad about it i i get today is you know i wake up and i try to deal and i don't know if i'm doing enough is there ever is there is there enough that any of us can do my god there is some shameless, just aggressive Christian fascism going on in this country and out and outright fascism, just banning books, taking over school boards. I mean, it's just shameless what they're doing to, to the LGBTQ communities, shutting them out, shutting them down. Like all of those fucking trans jokes that so many of these hack comics fought so hard to, to have the right to say, which they do, man. You really picked a good bunch of people to hurt, didn't you? I mean, Jesus Christ, can it get any harder? There's only one step left for how this culture is dealing with LGBTQ people, and that's killing them. Your neighbors might kill you. That's, that's where it's at. Who are you going to be in that fight? Who are you going to be when they come for us, for whoever that is? Are you going to wear T-shirts that say, hell no, I'm not Jewish? Hell no, I'm not trans. Hell no, I'm not gay. Hell no. And on the back, it just says they're in the attic. Come on in. I mean, how easily do people adapt to some sort of status quo that is heinous? Heinous. How strong are you? 
How well do you know your neighbors? Do you still believe that most people in the quiet of their own minds and hearts and houses are going to do the right thing in the name of tolerance and respect for other people, humanity, progressive humanity? Or are they just going to buckle? Are they just going to buckle? I try to sort of believe that what we're doing here by embracing creative people, by embracing uh, people's stories and how they do the work that they do, and I almost all of it is proactive work that affects other people. Today I talked to uh, Amy Sherman Palladino, and uh, she created the uh, Gilmore Girls. She created uh, the Marvelous Miss Maisel. She's been a writer. She's Her dad was a comic. And on a basic level... The Marvelous Miss Maisel, Mrs. Ma- is about, Mrs. Maisel is about Jewish entertainment. It's about what Jewish people at a different point in time, one of the choices they made to get through and connect and integrate into this country. And so many of those comics are so important to me growing up. But I mean, there is a flat out, shameless, culturally integrated anti-Semitism anti-LGBTQ, anti-Mexican, anti-Black, anti-everything, and it's integrated. It's not marginalized. It's, it's in the culture. You, see, you read about it every fucking day. It's happening. And look, man, you know, I believe that having these conversations that I have, and, and I believe that a lot of the art that's coming out and a lot of the um, stories that are being told and a lot of the movies that are being made are completely progressive, proactive, interesting, bold, courageous. But I was excited to uh, talk to um, Amy Sherman Palladino because, you know, watching Mrs. Maisel, that era of of comedy was very important to me growing up because my grandparents, my grandmother uh, was a huge uh, stand-up comedy fan, loved Don Rickles, liked Buddy Hackett. My, my grandfather loved the slapstick stuff, but they enjoyed the comedy. I used to talk to my grandmother a lot about it. Most of those comics when I was younger were the guys I saw on TV, that generation. Many of them are dead. Like, you know, you talk about Tina Turner's generation of performers, the generation before them of comedians really informed my sense of humor. Don Rickles, Buddy Hackett, Jackie Vernon, Rodney Dangerfield, you know, they were on TV and I loved watching those guys. And Mrs. Maisel is of that era. But it was interesting to have the conversation because the guy she got to play Lenny Bruce in that show it's quite good. And I met the guy and I was quite taken with the guy, but I think that he's a hard guy to play because what we know about Lenny Bruce and what I know about being around junkies in general or people that are hopped up all the time or high all the time is that, you know, it kind of takes over their body and you feel the vibration, you feel the frequency. And you know, once they get lost in it, uh, it's hard to see anything else. So in that sense, outside of the Lenny Bruce records, which you can just hear the pace and you can hear the, the sort of like this guy wanted nothing more than to be liked and, and wanted to get laughs and wanted to charm people like he did all the voices. He had the shtick down. He had the rhythm down. And then he slowly over time, uh, his brain you know, broke apart and he became a vessel of something bigger than himself and changed not only the face of comedy, but the face of culture. But besides all that. The guy was a guy. And I was thrilled to talk to Amy about, you know, Kitty Bruce was involved. A lot of the, the, the monologues that they had of his were real. And 
And also the character of Mrs. Maisel was uh, right from the get go when I first watched it was sort of confounding to me. But I knew what was going on. I knew that this type of comic, especially a female comic at that time during that era, did not exist. You know, so this was created to give her that voice and to give her that point of view and to give her that freedom of mind was a device, an invention. And I talked to her about that because I thought it was kind of genius. So it turns out that, you know, she's been rotating or around comedy. We just missed each other at the comedy store. It was a, it was a good conversation and I'm glad I had it. And I'm glad that, uh, you know, I feel lately sort of a reconnection or an openness or, or, or maybe a nostalgia, uh, for all this stuff that kind of defined me or that I gravitated towards when I was younger, a lot of old Jews and also with music too, that, you know, lately I've been listening to, uh, sort of, uh, alongside of all this other stuff that I just mentioned to you, I've been kind of poking around in the towny rock that was, you know, part of my wiring when I was younger and also those eight tracks and stuff. I, I don't know if it's nostalgia or, or regrounding. I'm also, uh, revising my will. Look, hey, grownups, you know, get a will together. It's going to happen. Get a will together. Get a colonoscopy. Make sure you get your prostate checked. Do the tests that uh, will enable you to know where you're at health-wise after a certain age. And just get some kind of will together. So if, God forbid, anything happens, you know, everybody you know or everybody in your family isn't scrambling to keep it out of probate and figure out, who gets what and, and what happens now? It's a grown-up thing to do. It doesn't cost that much money. Colonoscopy will. Okay? It's adult shit. You can do it. Seriously. So I talked to uh, Amy Sherman Palladino about the, uh, the show, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Uh, and that series finale is available tomorrow, May 26th on Prime Video. This is it. We talk about why that happened, too. Okay, this is me talking to Amy. What studio? Uh, we're at Silver Steiner. Cup? Oh, Steiner. Steiner. Oh, yeah, those are big, big sound stages. Yeah, yeah. it's a nice studio. Yeah. I will say when we did we the, did the Joker there. Yes, yes. Yeah. When we did the pilot, we were in Tony Town, uh-huh. which is basically like any abandoned warehouse yeah. that, that they had a lock on. Yeah. But like the, there was barely a roof. And oh, right. It was just, they were just terrible. Oh, really? So they hadn't really set it up as a studio yet? There's a lot of places to film in New York that yes. should not be places to film. Sure. But but Steiner's beautiful. It's yeah. great. And it's a it's, full facility. Yeah. yeah. They, how many sound stages they got over there? They must have like six or. They, they And they've just built like two or three other big, big oh, really? ones. Yeah. What are the tax incentives incentives in New York? Are they good? They're better now. Oh, they yeah? just knocked them up to like, uh, I think it's thirty percent. But they also include the above the, the above the uh-huh. line, below the line, whatever. It's whatever. It's it was not as good before, and Kathy Hochul just pushed it. And now they, they everyone's deciding they could use the money, well, and they could deploy people. Yeah, it's right? it's. I I just know for our show how many how much money we spread around the yeah. town, which yeah. was a lot. It was yeah, a lot. Just on food alone. Yeah, seriously. Just <laughs> coffee. Just for coffee alone. Yeah, but there's I, no filming in California anymore. Everything's, like, California has that weird lottery thing. And yeah, I don't, I don't understand all that. All I know is that I'm, I'm optioning a book that was written by my friend, and I want to make it a movie, but it has to be done in New York. So I want, 
uh, good stories about being able to shoot a film in New York? I think shooting New York is the greatest place to film. Right? Yeah, it's amazing. The crews are so good. Yeah. They're fast and they're tough. <laughs> they're very tough, but they're like, and they know how to like maneuver in tiny apartments or into an alleyway right. or you're stuffed in the back of a that's diner. That's because that's all New York is. Yeah. It's, and they know how to do that shit. And there's, New York is endless like buildings and you go in these buildings and they've got rooms and yeah. there were clubs yeah. where rich people did rich things and, and now they just, just rent them out. Doll them up? <laughs> yeah. Are they already set up or you have to? Half the time they're just so beautiful. You just like, you know. Really? Yeah. But like, so what were the sets? The apartment? Um, the club? The club. Well, the first year was a, uh, First year we did the gaslight and we did her apartment and things like that. The, the last year we we built a strip club. We built a giant strip club, um, which was amazing. Yeah. And uh, and then this past season we built uh, we did like sort of our version of Johnny Carson. So we built oh, like yeah. a whole yeah, 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 studio yeah. with a right. thing. So what was shot in in real life buildings and stuff? A lot of stuff. Like yeah. Just about any anything that wasn't permanent that you saw. What about the the, the Schmata factory? Or the... No, that that's an amazing place out in <laughs> Green Point. Point. And yeah. that guy is his story is incredible. He was in the Holocaust, he was in the camps, and he was a young boy. Yeah. And they taught him to sew. Yeah. And because he was so good at it, no, they didn't kill him. And yeah. he would fix the officer's outfits and, right. and he, he survived the Holocaust by guys. learning to yeah. Yeah. so he's got this unbelievable it looks straight out of the garment district huh. and he's very tan with a dapper suit he's i don't it's know be it's like three thousand years old i yeah, don't know right. how old yeah, he's yeah, very yeah. little and yeah but he he boasts that every president but uh, trump yeah he made a suit for and oh, yeah <laughs> it's it's just like it's it's a really great and we would use his workers yeah because they all knew how to <laughs> Do the machine? Work the shit. You know, we didn't know how to work any of that stuff. But and they were great. They were like, you know, those tough broads. Yeah, were like yeah. Which is, it's it. It was just amazing. It was so great to go back there. Well, I was very taken with the show, and I was surprised, you know, at the beginning that I was because I was ready to, you know, kind of like not. <laughs> well, okay. I was ready to judge it be, as <laughs> sure. a comic. So you know, yeah, I'm coming no, to I get it. that. I get. That. It was only because of that. No, I totally and, get that. And I was sort of like charmed by it, but I also realized without knowing anything about it that. That type of comedian in a woman or a man uh, was rare. There were two. Yeah. So, so the idea that I don't think anybody picked up on initially was that you created this character who is a woman who could speak freely, which really wasn't the case because people were comparing her to Joan or, or to uh, Phyllis Diller, but they didn't do that kind no, of stuff. No, It was all – the only guy that was doing that was Lenny Bruce and the guy that you got to play him – was very good, you know, Luke and that's Kirby. hard. Yeah, I met him, and I was I, I was very complimentary because you know I'm I you know I don't like I've seen Lenny, and Lenny's like a you know he was like you you couldn't hard you can't really hide the darkness in no. the real tapes of that guy. No. You know he he looked like he was you know it was a it was a weird energy. Yeah, but that guy was you know he made it charming. I think was the real trick. Well, he had a, he was, a, he was, he understood that he needed to entertain yeah. as well as have something to say. Right. And that I think was one of his, w what really sort of set him apart is because he wanted the laugh. He, you know, he wanted to sing and dance yeah, and he would yeah. just do it. Voices, he just wanted yeah. you to, you know, we, when we decided to do this show, my dad was a comic. So oh, I, know, I yeah. grew up around comics and my fear was getting into this world was exactly that, that I did not want comics to look at this and go, 
you know, what the fuck? That's not at all the world. Now, it's it's a different time. It's a different totally. era. You were able to sort of like, you know, um, kind of reconstruct or re sort of, uh, what's the word I want? To re-understand um, an entire era yeah. or two, you know, through, you know, something that, you know, even like from the very beginning, I realized the scope of the staging was almost musical. Yeah. Like, like in terms of, how, you know, the, the size of the sets, the pattern that like, you know, it wasn't like this is a historical document. Right. We weren't making a document. It's a reimagining. <laughs> yes, a reimagining. Of a period. Yeah. Well, I grew up hearing stories from my dad of, of well let's go back his, so where'd you grow up i grew up in the San, uh, van nuys i grew up right down the take the freeway back the way i came so what was he but he, the whole time was he from new york my dad was from born in the bronx and he started doing comedy in the catskills um, so interesting and I, he yeah. went to he got drafted and he went into the army which war uh korean yeah and he went into the army and he uh, you know, his story, which, you know, look, I love my parents, but any truth in my family is very rare. So I take everything with a grain of salt. But Wait, like, Total lies or just uh, embellishments? A lot of embellishments. A yeah. lot of embellishments. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. he, so he had, a, his story was, he said to them, I, if you put me out there and you give me a gun, I will die. I will right. take a couple people with me. Yeah. I'm, I'm, and they said, well, what are you? <laughs> what good are you to us? And he says, I'm a comic. Yeah. And they said, great, get up on stage. Yeah. And, and uh, so he got up on stage and he did Alan King's act, yeah. I think, was the was the one. And he just did somebody else's act sure. <laughs> from beginning because he didn't have an well, act. Not uncommon then. Yeah. And actually. so and they said, Great, okay. And so yeah. he that was how he made it through the war. He uh he claims he almost got run over by an ambulance. I don't know why yeah. he was on the ground or asleep. That was never told to me. But so when he got out of the uh army, then he started, you know, working as a as a comic and writing his own material. And my dad In New York. In New York. And my dad had a he had a run. He he opened for Dinah Washington at the what Apollo. Year? Uh, I what would you say late. I would say, well, see, I was in 66, and then they moved to LA yeah. in 60, 64. So, so I would say late 50s into uh-huh. the 60s. And so a uh, uh, club act. Clubs. Dinner club All act. clubs. Yeah. You know, uh, The Hungry Eye, uh, Blue Angel, uh, you know. So who were his contemporaries that he hung around with? Uh, like, like Jackie what? Green. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, Jackie Gale. Jackie Gale. Uh, uh, Dick Capri was yeah. uh, the my mother's maid of honor at their wedding, as really? she says. Yeah. We, yeah. we actually name-checked Dick Capri in the last episode, and I told my mom, I like, make sure he watches. That's great. And she keeps saying, when are you t- going <laughs> to yeah. keep tuning in yeah, to yeah, talk yeah. about him? <laughs> um, you know, uh, uh, they talked about Bob Newhart and how they would all hide from him because he was so straight. He didn't do anything. Yeah. He didn't drink. He didn't do drugs yeah. or anything. So they would sort of like, shh. Yeah, he was talk. like, you know, he was, uh, Newhart, like, he, he was, wasn't even a comic. No. I mean, like, he came out of nowhere and he did, like, he, it was the second show of <laughs> the first time he performed that became that record. Yeah. And that was it. And then off to the races. It Crazy. Was, it was, yeah, and There's my no dad, other way for that guy to have come to be. He was so great. Though. Yeah, but like he, he, he couldn't have, like I talked to him, he, the clubs, the clubs would have killed him. Yeah. If he had to come up in it. Yeah. Because he's such yeah. a, a sensitive. He's sweet. Yeah. He's yeah. a sweetheart. He's a yeah, sweetheart. you can't hang out with all those hard oh, Jews. Oh, it's so. Get chewed up. <laughs> <laughs> clubs are, clubs are, they're a thing. They're a thing. But at that time, you know, like, uh, it, like I didn't realize until I've I've read some like you know like what was that guy's name John Berger's book, 
uh, that, you know, there were, there were literally, you know, people talk about there being so many standoffs. Now, there were thousands. Yeah. After World War II, it was yeah. like anybody could do it. Everyone was stealing material. There yep. were 20 guys out there in uniform doing stand-up. Right. It was crazy. Yeah. And there were all these dinner clubs, these mob-run dinner clubs everywhere. Well, and they and they loved the mob. Yeah. I mean, my my parents are talking about uh, nothing about how, but you know, when the— my mother was working at Mr. Kelly's in Chicago. Right. And my, she lived in Chicago? Well, she was working there. She was a dancer and she worked she was working a club and she was working Oh, so doing a run? She did like um nightclub acts. And she either worked with somebody or she had her own little her and a few guys. Yeah. She was cute. She was yeah. about this big, redhead. There was, was a, there were, like I cuz I I know that you know when I saw that she's a professional dancer. I I always wonder about the goal of that pursuit. Of like, dancing? Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> How many it's poverty. Gigs? It's How many just gigs a... are they? But like going into it, like, you know, comedy's crazy. I know. But like even acting's crazy. But I'm going to be a dancer. It's like there's three jobs. Yeah, I know. I know. And the thing about dancing is you never make money. Unless you you just never make money. There's uh-huh. no way to make money as a dancer unless yeah. you're Mikhail Brushnikov and there's one and Yeah, I just, it's, it's such a princess dream. It is. But it's, back then she could do it's backup. It's real, but it's a real... It's it's a, a pure love of just that art form. And it's quick. It's a quick... It's a quick in and out, you know, but, right. you know, now the, with physical therapy and, you know, yeah. all the stuff that you can last into your forties, fifties, but yeah. you know, not, not back when my mom did it. Well, so what's she doing at Mr. Kelly's? What's the mom's She story? was uh, doing a, a show there and my father came into town to yeah. see her perform yeah. and the guys, and she loved these guys because they would make sure she ate and then nobody hit on her and she yeah. felt very protected. And my dad was sitting there and they came over and they introduced themselves and they sat with him and they said, listen, we're going to go outside and beat the shit out of this guy. You want to come with us? He goes, you know, I would, but my wife is about to, <laughs> she's coming on any minute. I think she'll be mad. So like, you know, maybe next time, yeah. you know, so that is the Mr. Kelly story. The yeah. Possibly true the, if, in the Sherman the, household, sure, Mr. They would, Kelly story. They would ask the Jewish comic yes. if he would come out and help Ex- them kick someone's Ex- ass. My dad was tall. Yeah. He was a big dude then. He was like well, 6'2 then, so he, he had he had some height on him. Well, it seemed like there was sort of an—, uh, an uh, there had to be an, an unspoken or, or spoken kind of uh, relationship because they owned all the clubs. Yeah, yeah. So do you, like, do you remember, like, when you were—how many kids in your family? Just me. So do you go—did you go to shows? Well, as happens with comics, yeah. Uh, my father had a had a really good run and signed with the Morris Agency, and they brought him out here, and he started writing on uh, the Bobby Darren show and the you know yeah. he was Variety anything shows? with a name and a show. Mm. He was he wrote on for a while, and then my parents had um, some. My my sister and she passed away oh, very very young and it yeah. threw everything into yeah. as will happen yeah. because you lose a child that's it everything's yeah. different so it kind of threw him off his trajectory and for a long time my mother was the breadwinner in the family she started ch- teaching dance and that's how we ate and then my father uh, started doing the cruises. Sure. And the great thing about my father and the cruises was they he didn't he wasn't blue. He yeah. didn't work blue. But that, that's still the way. And that, some of them have a blue night though. Like it used yeah. to always be you gotta be clean on the boats, but now like, you know, they have a blue show. Oh, they do? They've they, got one dirty show? Well, I don't know how exactly like it works. 45. But there are guys that do the boats still. I mean, they do the boats. There it's I I'm telling you, it was it's an amazing gig. My father has a very um a very conversational 
way of, or he did. Long form? Was it, so it wasn't one-liners? It was yeah, like, no, it was like no. Alan King? Stories. Like stories. Alan King. Yeah. Right. So he would go on boats and he would talk about the specific boat. So everybody felt like, oh, we're getting a special show that's just for us. Right. And the great thing about those boats is they're, you know, they're a scam. You, They sell you this thing. They say, don't bring your wallet. Yeah. Everything is free. It's yeah. included. You go, every, nothing's included. You know, yeah. the minute you order a Diet Coke, it's forty nine ninety five, And right. then they bring you out to see an iceberg at three in the morning and right. you're standing there and they bring these beautiful beautiful soup bowls around yeah, everyone's yeah, cold and you yeah, eat the soup yeah, and that's fifty eight ninety five. So about halfway through a cruise, all the men realize they've been scammed and they yeah. start to fight with their wives. And yeah. then the kids start to mobilize and it's Lord of the Flies off and it starts to get very frightening. And, and, and <laughs> this is just the way it was. Literally, it's horrible. And so my dad would not work until halfway through the cruise and he would come on and he would just say, who else can't fit in your shower? Who else did I, this yeah. thing, they were yeah. going to take me on a tour of the boat and they got it. I got in a boat right, and they right, put right. me on the boat and I'm yeah. back on the boat. Yeah. So it's like, he would talk about what a, basically a scam the cruises are. Yeah. And it was so cathartic for especially these, these schlubby dudes who who were dragged out there and they felt so good and happy that by the end of the cruise my dad was like Bono like he like <laughs> yeah. all the all the old yeah. women just loved him yeah, they went yeah, right yeah, to yeah. him and then right. he started Saved to, marriages oh my god it was it was it was it was great it was great to watch so i actually didn't see my dad do stand up until i was about 13 14 years old because he was always on boats uh-huh. and i was yeah you know and so when i was 13 my dad said come Take a cruise with me to Mexico, and we will will uh, short one, a short one, yeah, yeah, a short one. Well, sure. I mean, that's good for the Sherman family, right. and and so I was, uh, so my mom put me on a plane to Florida. I had to meet him in Florida because he was already out there. So I was going to meet him in the boat in Florida, and I got to Florida, and this is pre nine eleven. So I got to Florida, and he wasn't there, and I didn't have a cell phone. Yeah, and I just sort of said, I'm here for the cruise yeah. and people said well uh, the bus over there is going to that boat so right. i just got on the bus right and i drove to the boat and i got on the boat and i said i'm don sherman's daughter and they said okay and they showed me to his cabin and as i'm walking the cabin i'm hearing people wa- who will work on the boat saying there's hurricanes and the, the entertainment's not going to make it in time and there and so well. i i'm i'm on i'm on 13 <laughs> i'm on the boat i don't have money i have nothing i'm supposed to meet my dad yeah. i Sat in the room for a while, and then there was the lifeboat drill, and someone said, you got to put your, yeah, and come to your boat. Yeah. So I put my thing on, yeah. and I went out to the boat, and then the boat's starting to pull away, and I'm like, well, at some point, somebody's going to tell me to get off the boat or something, right. but they, like, literally, like, at the last minute, the, the, the with the, him and, like, a yeah. harp player, right. you know, and the, with the spoons and yeah. whatever, and yeah. they, and they, and he was in a panic, but it was, it was like, I almost took a cruise by myself, which so I was where was your dad? about. He was, he was, because my dad would, he would get on a, a, a boat, but then he would like either stay somewhere and work many boats or he'd go from boat to boat to boat. But that boat, work. But the one you got on, it was going to hit bad weather. So they basically canceled it. No, my they... dad was stuck in bad weather. The boat that oh. he was on was stuck out in a hurricane. And so he had to get from that boat to this boat. That's crazy. So he's a real boat guy. He was a boat guy. But it was, it was, it was amazing watching it and it was amazing watching. When did you get to com- see him finally? Then. When he finally made it to the boat, oh, he I, got we to spent the a boat. week to go. We spent a week <laughs> together, and I saw his. I saw his act. That was the I, first time. Thirteen. First time. Did he do TV stuff? He did some TV stuff, but he mostly. When I was really young, yeah, he was touring. He toured with like Sergio Mendes, and he toured with um, uh, Jose Feliciano. And he was so like he was, he was like uh, uh, you know Paulie's dad, Sammy. 
Yeah. Like Sammy No, no Sammy was a friend. It's, Mitzi yeah. was a very good friend yeah. of his. Yeah. So when I got old enough, Mitzi gave me, threw me a couple of jobs at the, at the comedy store and then promptly fired me when she realized I wasn't going to become a comic. Like that I was just, because those jobs were supposed to be for comics. What, like which ones did you get? Um, when I was 18, I worked in the office. Sure. So I got to hand Sammy his $30 check, which was. So okay, that's going back when he was still around. Yeah. And, wow. and so I was there for like a year and yeah. then she realized I need that job for somebody else. What was that like in the seventies? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, must be. And then when I turned 21, she put me at the cover, cover booth? booth. Yeah. And I worked in the OR. Yeah. And then I also worked in the main room. In the cover booth? Um, yeah. Wow. So that was so, like, that was an informative time, but you were around then. I was around then. I The lineup when I, right before I got fired the second time, was uh, was Kinnison and Arsenio Hall. Oh, so that's and the 80s. Dice yeah. and uh, Charles Fleischer. Yeah. Um, that was sort of like the main group that I would see. Well, I must have just missed them. you. I was there 87. You must have been there in like 84, 83. Maybe. I know. Sam Maybe was not. dating Tamayo Otsaki and I watching know. that, yeah. those two people fight in Dude, the, the, the you have, I have a tape of that that's in the, the OR. It's the greatest thing in the world. Because I lived in the house <laughs> where Tamayo lived in Crest Hill. Oh. Like I lived there when I was a doorman. So Sam used to come up there and party for three days and yell. Yeah, like just, enjoy, all they was, did was yell. All they did was get in fights at the back of the bar. Yeah, well, she. I have a, this weird tape that I, I need to digitize because I found it in Mitzi's office because <laughs> like they were cleaning it out, and and I have like look, I have this. Look at these. Her driver's license. Oh my god! Why are these just sitting here? Because like the binder did a dock, and the the office was all like you know a mess. So I asked if I could take some shit, and that. Was on the floor, so I'm like, well, Peter knows I have it. That's amazing. Yeah, that's and, so great, though. And that's... then, and then I got the one from '74. That's that's like right after she took the place over. Right. So you were your childhood, like after you saw your dad do comedy, was it the idea that you were going to be in show business? Or... Well, I mean, I was not. My family was not set up to do anything else. I, I, when I had graduated, and I was in my like, I was like 23. Yeah. I was at, we were having dinner, and my dad turned to me and he goes. Uh, did you want to go to college? Because we could have sent you. And I, <laughs> right. I, I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, and at that point could've. it was like, yeah. no, it was, the ship has sailed. Yeah. Because it was, it was just, you know, my mom really wanted me to be a dancer, but she really didn't want me to move to New York. If you wanted to be a dancer, you had to move to New York. There were no California dancers. But, wait, but to do what? Be a rockette? I mean, what's the big plan? Can Broadway. You... Okay. Broadway. Right. Musicals. Got Musicals. It. Yeah, yeah, sure. Musicals. Yeah. Now, the thing is, I can't sing. I can't yeah, sing. Okay. So that's a problem. Yeah. It's an issue. Yeah. Uh, I was a, I was a good dancer, but I was I, I I didn't in the I it was not it was not in the cards. Yeah. Uh, what what happened is fine. My mother's not okay with it, but what happened was still? fine. Yeah, I think she'd still perform. perform. After you like you made a billion dollars in television, she's still like you should have been a dancer. Look, my mother is ninety two, and she's working on her fourth one woman show right now and writing her memoirs and I don't know what any of that means because this woman has worse punctuation than I do and cannot put a sentence together <laughs> what do you, to save her life. But, but she's going to ask you to help her out, isn't no, she? No, 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 no. She's very, she's got her own. Who's going to publish a memoir? I don't know. All right. I don't know. I'll bribe somebody to yeah. do it. But it's just, uh, <laughs> yeah. she's uh, All right, so she's pushing you to be a dancer. You're in your teens? Yeah, I, I, was, I was in dance class at four and I was dancing when I got my first job on Roseanne, I had a 
call back for a, for cats yeah and uh, for a touring yeah. bus and truck right and uh, which i never would have gotten anyhow because i lied and said i did gymnastics which i didn't do right um and i i got the call to i had a writing partner for one year and we got the call to that we got the job on Roseanne See, but you were doing scripts you were writing things yeah well, we, you know I was in improv classes and we were bored and out of work so we would sit and we would write some spec scripts and for what? I, I had a thing for um, uh, Richard Lewis so we wrote an anything but love spec script because I thought well you know did you know him I don't never met him never met him but do you know him now later no but later in life yeah. he heard that story and he actually left me a really lovely voicemail. I don't know how we got my... Yeah. Um, but I never talked to him. I have the tape. Yeah. I don't know what you play it in anymore because yeah. they don't have answering machines right. anymore. Right. The little one? The little yeah. teeny tape? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You got to figure out. It's adorable. To... Well, no. It, it, like, I wonder what he thinks of the show. He's a big Lenny head. Well, I I hope... You know, we were we tried to be very... You know, Kitty was very involved because... Because uh, I mean, because uh, Kitty is... Kitty Bruce. Yeah. She um, controls all his material. So um, anytime we want... And, and we never wrote Stand up for him. We right. wrote his dialogue, but I, I we never wrote a, a word of stand up. Yeah, for him. it was all his stuff. Yeah. So she had a lot of say and could have been a pain. And she yeah. was absolutely lovely. And she came down once and oh yeah, set and she was. Did really, she like how he played him? She did. She yeah. Did. She she liked Luke a lot. Ah, uh, that's sweet. The ladies like Luke. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah, very likable. I was, yeah, he is. I, I'm telling you, I was totally surprised. Yeah, I was, I was cynical. I was, I was going in it with the, you know, with the wrong glasses on. I, I was immediately uh, engaged. Well, he's such a worshiper of like. It was weird because he came into audition for the for the pilot, and the Lenny Bruce character was in one scene. He was yeah. just playing like a strip right. club, and he was, and 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 there were like actually weirdly like three really good like like one guy who looked just like him and yeah. did like a dead on impression, and then there was Luke, and then there was another guy who was also very good, and and we sort of were going back and forth, and we yeah. said, if if we ever wanted to bring Lenny back and ever wanted to have him have a scene, yeah, with a character, yeah, you got to go with Luke, yeah. Oh, if we just could, want a dead-on impression, right? You're right. You know. It wasn't an impression. Yeah, he could act. It, it, it was. The, it was a sense of it. Sure, but he's a sure. really terrific actor, and and Luke just knows everything. So we, I would. He knew coming in, or he, he knew, knew everything. No he was shit. obsessed with it. He knew mm. all the recordings, and yeah. so every time I would, and there were so many different versions of the same bit because sure. it existed in so many different ways that he did it that yeah. I would put something forth and he would say, but you know, here he kind of did like a, uh, and, uh, and he did yeah. some of that. Can I put that in? Yeah, and yeah. So it was a lot of like. And Kitty's was, on set? And Kitty was only on set once, uh -huh. but she, everything went to her and we had to say, you know, here's what we want to do. And we want to, and cause we had to also mix and match um, pieces. Right. Now that, what about like Rachel? Like I've talked to her. We had a conversation in season one, like, it's very interesting to me, and 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 it's not a criticism, but like because I notice this about look, Steven Spielberg did a, a movie about his family of Jews with no Jews, and then <laughs> yes. and then you know, yes, he did. and then James Gray did a, a Armageddon Time, a movie about his family with no Jews, yes, and then Rachel, not a Jew, yes, and I what like did how many Jews did you see? Many, many Jews. Many Jews. Every Jew that left Egypt auditioned for Maisel. I will I will say that. There were many Jews. You know, the the thing about it is a hard part. It is. And, and a no. lot of comics, good comics, yeah. came in and auditioned for it. But it was that mixture of it was also the mixture of, especially at the very beginning, she couldn't be a polished comic. 
you had to watch. You had to know that the spark was there, but you had to watch the evolution because that's what the show was. What's interesting about her and, and why it worked from the very beginning is because she has that as a character. I'm, I don't think as a person, but she has that kind of like um, almost sociopathic self-centeredness. Oh, my God. A complete narcissist. Right. That that you need yes. to just plow ahead. Yeah. Like, you know, right from the beginning, it's so clear that there's that disconnect between emotional capacity and her desire to do this thing. Well, because the thing about comedy is you have to be willing to talk about your life. And if you want to do that kind of comedy, sure. Yes, yes. Yeah. You know, and you have to be willing to potentially upset people in your life because you are being honest and you are talking about the things that happen. And right, but, but that's a modern configuration. You chose to construct a character and, and time travel her. I did, but you know, Part of the way I did her comedy was because I knew I was dealing with an actress right. and I was not dealing with a comic. It's probably better because like comics, it's hit or miss with the acting. Well, it's tough. Yeah. It's, it's a hard it's a hard combination to get, you know, the actors can't play musicians. Well, right, because you, you the, the comedians have that thing we just yeah. talked about. So you're going to tell them instruction, but they're going to have that weird disconnect yeah. where, you know, they, they don't have this, the... The right amount of of uh, capacity for engaging, for eliciting. We bring. we always had comics in our room on our on staff. Yeah. They would jump in and they would say, yeah. "That's bullshit," or they would jump in and say, "It doesn't. It doesn't." Here's the experience with, with the bits, with the with the and with everything, right? With clubs, with how much you time you get, with every little tiny thing, because I wanted to make sure that it felt. Especially in the beginning was as she was learning yeah. and as she was putting it together, I wanted to make sure that they would look at it because I didn't want her to like come out and boom, she was the funniest of thing course. in the world and right. knew how to craft a joke right. and knew what the whole thing was. Right. And, and so it was in, they were sort of like keeping us in check. But the other thing about Rachel was for her to be able to play this part, she had to have an emotional thread in whatever monologue she was doing, even if it was a quickie. There had to be something in it, and we tried to always tie what she was talking about to something that that was going on within the show. Sure. So she had something to grasp onto. Yeah. And then you could structure jokes around that, and you could work with her. And she was very—I mean, the great thing about Rachel is because she's so smart, and she's so fearless, yeah. and so um, doesn't really care what— people think about her and I mean that in the best way because she would be up on stage with a room full of extras staring at her yeah. she's the star and she would say tell me how to say this yeah. <laughs> tell me where the inflection because she just wanted it to be right Right. Um, then she would get up and work it and work it and work it and right. there were times where she would come to me and she would say I need something to get me to this yeah. I need something to get me to this so the, the monologues were very much about Letting her feel like there was an emotional story connection because then she didn't feel weird going out doing jokes. I think if we had just given – because, you know, like Joan Rivers, she had these great jokes. Sure. But I think if I had just given Rachel great crafted jokes, I don't know that she would have known how to do them because she was thinking yeah, – and that's a, and it's like it, it – it, you know, it – it, the 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 possibility for failure would have been high, yeah, because there is a way to shtick, yeah, and that's not what she's doing, yeah. So that choice was to create this character. It almost becomes all the way through once she has success with the tour with the uh, with the R and B group or uh, that guy, yeah, Shy one. yeah, and then you know just onward. It's it it's it's seeing this the reimagining is really kind of a 
an alternative feminist history of this period of yeah. of show business. Yeah, right? it is. It is. I mean, we we you know people keep saying, well, who did you craft her after? And I my honest story is my dad. Sure. Because that's I grew up with these stories. I mean, I I right. stuff out of his life. He toured with Johnny Mathis. You know, he I yeah. I did things that he came. You know, he told me about, and I said, well, I don't know a good. Thing. And you also, know? like it's interesting that you know he started stealing from Alan King because that you know is really you know out of. Alan King was the guy that, you know, made the middle class Jew, you know, a thing. Yeah. You know, he pulled it out of the Borscht Belt and made it, you know, it was back. It was, you know, it was the the passing bit. Yes. You know? Yes. But it was about life. It yeah. was about middle class life. And, you know, and Midge, Rachel's Midge comes from it's that's I, it's almost pre middle class, but it's upper class. They yeah. they live well. Yes. That so, was back in the days when if you worked if you were a tenured professor, yeah. you had a beautiful apartment right. on the left west side. They gave it to you. But that's so. the style, right? So that's so yeah. it's not really a Lenny Bruce thing. It's really kind of that, you know, it's those Jews who were talking about bourgeois life. Yeah. Yeah. And and then by making her a female yeah. as opposed to my father, yeah. um it it allowed it allowed sort of a well, I never looked at it as a feminist show because I don't. I don't ever look at my. I just work say that like because, that. like, it's a point of view thing. But it does. You know, come, it's important. But it 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 came off a little like that, and yeah. I'm I'm fine with that. Like, it, I'm not upset with that. It's just it it allowed sort of a a point of view that made it less. Because the thing I was really concerned about is I didn't want people to look at this and think like that's my grandma's show. I wanted people right. to be able to enjoy it, and I wanted young. Women to be able to watch it and not feel like, eh. You what do you know, know about the audience? I want to see girls. Yeah. You know? So it, I think that by watching her struggle and yeah. watching her come from this and this adorable girl, because right. Rachel's so damn cute, yeah. with the cute clothes and everything, right. and yet can't hold the husband, has, you know, going up against the family, going yeah. up against not getting the respect, like it, it made all of that palatable and it made her more human so what do you know about the audience in general uh nothing i right. don't know anything about because it. it's interesting <laughs> they're alive and they're out there well i well i imagine that you know there is that generation of people that you know enjoy the uh the what is it the alan arkin you know michael uh yeah. what is that show called the kaminsky method yes, yes. like clearly there there's an audience of people of of our parents generation yes. that are engaged in yeah. stuff that speaks to them. So I think that you have this art this spectrum of people that can be pulled into this because it, it has the trappings of their past. Yes. And it speaks to the experience of that and the patter of it kind of is reminiscent of something they grew up in. Yeah. But yet it's really a young people's show. It is a young people's show, although the interesting thing is the gripes about the show that I heard through Mostly through the filter of Rachel yeah. Brosnahan, who cannot put her phone down. I yeah. love her so much. Right. But it's like, baby, put the phone down. Just huh. put it down. Yeah, yeah. Is, is this issue about you're a bad mother. You're a bad mother. And yeah. this became a very big issue. And Rachel talked to me about it a lot. And I, at first I was very cavalier about it. And I said, you know, Rachel, I don't give a shit. I, I don't care what you read online. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not on yeah, social media. Right. I don't. We're not right. doing the show for the six people who are calling you a bad right, mother. Right, right. But, but then, like, I would have uh, 
the New York Times say, say so what's this thing about the mothering? Yeah. I'm like, wow, so this is a thing? Really? Yep. In this day and age where we're talking about women and this and that, th- you're asking me like she's a bad mother because she's got ambition and because she wants to go on the road and she wants to have a career. Yeah, is but that, what the fuck is that? I mean, it's like, you know, so you listen, weird. but you listen to the stories of any entertainer's family. They were all shitty parents. Of course, that's the and point. It's, it's like, you know, <laughs> they, they make a choice to do this thing. You need shitty parents to make more entertainers right because, like buster keaton yeah. was used as like you know just fodder yeah i mean it was like there's no it's a, it's an interesting thing that you're putting this modern sort of point of view into the past and then these people are criticizing her on behalf of what it was huge. A domestic expectation it was huge and they would ask everyone about it. they would ask alex borstein about it who didn't have kids in the show <laughs> well she's another interesting character because at the beginning she was the one i had the most trouble with because i thought it was broad but then you just start to realize she's just weird yeah and then it kind of settles you know yeah yeah and alex is alex is a very special yeah, I just talent. talked to her. Yeah. She's she's because she brings a level of pathos into the room with her. Mm. And it's what grounded Susie. Because Susie was such a ball busting, fuck you, I don't care. Whatever yeah. I think I say, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm gonna be alone anyhow, yeah. so I'm not even gonna try to connect with humanity. Right. Um, but there was a there's there's such vulnerability in Alex Borstein as an actress and sure. as a person right. that it actually took this character that could have gone much more in the stratosphere and it sort of tethered her to the yeah end. I can see that so like but this is like this show is not it's not like anything that existed before really like you know in in the way that you know it's not like a three camera trip it's right. not you know it's it it's it's not quite a movie but it, it engages all these devices of you know, old movies yeah. in a way. But like, how do you, like when, when you started writing, we were talking before that you were doing spec scripts for Richard Lewis and you're <laughs> like just, because you, you're, but you're just general show business family. You're dancing. Yeah. You're working at the comedy store. Yeah. Was Roseanne at the store when you were there? Roseanne? She had just left probably. She would come in every now and then. Like she came in and bombed one night and then just screamed at the whole audience and then left. So like oh, She's still was, doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> but so, so what, how does it unfold? So you spent like a long time at the store I, at that time. So you saw everybody. I saw everybody. And it was really, it was, you know, and I also saw, and I wish I could remember his name because I, I use this example all the time. But yeah. He was a guy, he was so sweet. He was, yeah. just, was a very tiny guy, but it's so lovely. And he would come in and he always had an early slot. Yeah. And he would, I think he emceed a little bit, but, but he would, he would emcee and then his, his actual slot was yeah. later and he would come in early yeah. and he was sweet and adorable and he would stand at the back and he would drink and he would drink and he would drink and get nervous and drink and drink. And by yeah. the time he went on stage, uh, yeah. he was so angry. He was so, he assumed the audience yeah. was going to turn on him yeah. before he walked up on stage yeah. and he attacked immediately and he bombed almost every time he yeah. went on stage. And then I would see him the next night at the beginning of the night and he was sweet and adorable. And was, I'm like, yeah. Just don't drink. Yeah, see, yeah. See what happens if you just go. But, it, but I Mitzi think the kept f- him in that late the spot. The fear. Yeah. The fear of like comedy is so fear driven. It's so interesting because I, oh, yeah. I saw you know I, I think comics personally. Yeah. I think it's the art form. I think it's the most terrifying art form out there because if you go up there. And you bomb. You can't say, "Ah, oh, the script was bad. Or the director hung me out to dry, or my sure. dress looked like shit, yeah. or my actor." Yeah, it's you. They don't right. like you. They yeah, don't like what you're right. saying. They yeah. don't like your point of view. Your life is not interesting to them. Right. It's total and utter rejection yeah. of everything that you yeah. are. That's so hard. What's crazy? But like I used to say that, like really, for as long as it takes, 
you know, about 75% of the job is pretending you're not afraid. Yes. And then eventually you're not because it doesn't matter as much anymore. And, and you <laughs> you're hopefully... just numb to the world. Well, no, you're not numb, <laughs> but you, you, you know, it's like any other job that like some nights are better than others. Yeah. And, you know, you get past a certain point where you're going to be run off stage probably. Yeah. Unless something really fucked up happens. Yeah. But, but so what, when you watched it, the nuts and bolts of it every night when you're working the cover booth at the store, I mean, were you, were you empathetic? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was very empathetic. I, I, it broke my heart a lot. And, you know, I had to turn the light on in the, in the OR when you sat sure. at the cover booth. Eddie Cantor. You, you had to give the, the Eddie, light. The Eddie Cantor picture? Yeah. And it was, it was horrible. <laughs> it was horrible, like, having to, like, say, like, and you're done. You know, it was but just. That was the right, but they had a certain amount of time. I know they had a certain amount of time. But it was weird for me because I was not, I didn't have that ambition. But did you think you did? Is that why no. you got the job? No, I, I think it's just because it's all I knew. Like, I, I grew up with that. I needed a job. Yeah. And and di- my dad got me the job. Mitzi always was very sweet, sweet to my dad. And, you know, according to my mother, she was in love with your dad. Mitzi was in love with your dad. I don't know if that's true. But according to my mother, Mitzi was in love with my dad. The great um, love of her life, I think, great... was Steve Landisberg. Oh, really? Yeah. After, after Sammy, it was Steve oh. Landisberg. And then she, I think, went through a dark period where she just fucked a lot of comics. Yeah, she. I think her boyfriend was Dan. Danny. Danny Stone. I yeah. must have just missed you. I mean, come on. You were you were we there together well, for fuck's sake? I think we were. What happened? Why did you know. notice me? <laughs> That's crazy. Because Danny Stone, oh. all he did was that fucking. It was the weirdest thing that they were together. Like the with the. All he did was Dangerfield. The Dangerfield yeah. impression. Argus Hamilton. He's still there. At the comedy store. Yes, every night. He's grandfathered in. He's as long as he's alive, he gets an opening spot. There. He comes in, wow. parks his Cadillac, does like the second spot in the main room, and leaves. Unbelievable! And he, and he kills, man. Really? And you know who else is there again? Who? Dreesen. Really? Yes. And it's the same thing, like with Miss Maisel, in a way, is that like I watch Tom Dreesen, and and same with Argus. This is old style patter. Yeah. The way they do jokes. And I think for people of a certain age, it's very comforting. Yeah, it is comforting. It's like, it, it's it's the- And it's funny. Sure, it's funny. You know, it's fucking funny. Yeah. It's, it's just- But fun. it's a style that you don't, there's very few people that do it anymore. Like, yeah, you, you know, know. The, the guys who carry that tradition are rare. You know, like, like Dave Attell is like the best example of a guy who like lives in that and took it to another dimension. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So comedy store talk. So you got out. And I got you, as a writer, you, that's where you, when you got your job. I got my job a couple of years later. Uh, How'd you get the job on Roseanne? That was the first job. It was literally like, yeah, it was just, it was a fluke, and it and it was it was. I hate telling people this, like young people who are like, "How did you get in?" I'm like, you don't want to hear my story because it sounds too easy. It's it's, it was a uh, again. I had a, a partner for like one year. We were in, we were in the Groundlings. Who's that? L- she around? School together. Around? Her name was her name was Jennifer Heath. And she was actually, I thought she would have yeah. been a really, she did, she did stand up, but Jennifer, and she was very funny, but Jennifer didn't like clubs. She didn't drink. She didn't like people who smoked. She didn't, yeah. she, she couldn't take the clubs, uh. so she couldn't do it. I mean, if you, you got to be at the club to do stand up, yeah. so it didn't work out. But I actually thought if she, if she had a belt and a smoke, yeah. she, she would have been really great. But <laughs> yeah. we, um, we we're in the Groundlings Loser classes together, and then we decided we'll write a couple. She really wanted to write a spec script. Yeah. I'm like, fine, I don't care. Okay. So we wrote two spec scripts. We wrote a uh, Anything But Love, and we wrote yeah. a Roseanne spec script. And I was in, and I realized, oh, God, if I'm going to do this, i got to learn how to use a thing because I don't even know how to type. So I went to take a class at UCLA, which was 
I don't know why they exist, yeah. but but the teacher of that class was a very nice man who I also can't remember his name. Yeah, that's welcome to my world. A TV writing um, class. He was it was a TV writing class, yeah. and he was working on a show called City that had just been picked up with Valerie Harper, and uh, he was uh, he wrote Crash. He was, he was running he started the show? comedy. He was a comedy writer. Haggis. It's Paul Haggis. Yeah. So Paul, so I, he, they, he said, well, come in and just, you guys just pitch a bunch of stories. Yeah. And we, I said, all right. So we went in there and we pitched a bunch of stories, all which were absolutely just dreadful. Yeah. Um, but we didn't know what the show was or anything yeah. like that. And Paul Haggis said, okay, well, look, take your pencil and if you can throw the pencil and, and it sticks in the ceiling, we'll hire you. Yeah. Which sounded, we didn't know anything about sitcom hazing at that yeah. point. I'm like, that sounds insane. And yeah. so 45 minutes later, everybody wanted to go to lunch. And he's like, yeah. that's fine. So we actually got a freelance script uh, on City. And off that. And so by the time we got meetings with agencies, we had already been hired with something. So, so we, you had a thing. You did an episode of City. Right. And yeah. so from the time we wrote those spec scripts to the time we got on Roseanne was six months. And it was a very, it was a very quick. First season of Roseanne? No, it was three, third season. So All right, she so it was already, up and running and she was already She was huge. with Tom. Yeah, she had just broken up with her Original, husband yeah. the, fa- the season before and yeah. fired everybody. Fired mm. you know, everybody that was there, all the writers, oh, and they wow. were starting fresh. And Bob Meyer came in, he was running the show, and they had no women. So they, they needed a cheap team of Who was in the girls. room? Uh, Bob Meyer, Chuck Lorre, yeah, um, Jeff Abagoff, um, Brad Isaac, uh, 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 Joel, uh, Don Foster, wow, um, and then me and Jennifer. So, and it was already like a machine. It was huge. And like we, you, but, we we walked into like a huge show, right? But you, everyone, the characters were were defined. It was. An unbelievable first job. Yeah. It was so lucky. She had just done the national anthem when we got hired. So the first time I met her, we went over to the house that they were renting that later they would sue. They were sued for trashing that house. It was in Brentwood somewhere. Her and Tom. Yeah. So we went over there and (laughs) the whole time they just had taped every uh, new show that was talking about her and they were just watching we just sat there and watched everybody yeah. trash her and trash her and trash her. And then she and Tom started finding it funny and they started fooling around and then they started making out and then he unzipped her pants and then we all got up and we left the house. And so that was my first introduction to Roseanne as a person. But I like everybody abruptly got up. We just, we, we, we were, I love those moments with done. crazy people. It's time to leave. Um, it used to happen with Sam up at Crestal. We're I, just sort of like, what's going on? Everyone just goes. Yeah, let's just go. Let's just go. We don't need, we get it. We know it's going to happen. No goodbyes. We're fine. Yeah. Um, thank you for the yeah. burger. Um, but I will say, you know, going on to a show like that, that had, as crazy as she was, yeah. um, what she brought to the table, nobody could bring to the table. Oh, she's fucking funny. And, and and of such a clear point of view, such yeah. a clear who I am, what my story is. And then they surrounded her with John Goodman, Laurie Metcalf. I mean, it was just like, it was it was gold. But also like, you know, she, I think one of the great things about that thing is that she grew as a character. Completely. And and like that just, it's it's not always the thing that happens. But they, they as the kids grew, everybody grew. I will seemed. say they wouldn't. Do now what they did then, and they they knew. For example, they knew John was the right husband for her. Right. John was busy. He was doing Julius Caesar on he was uh, the Old Globe, I think. And, yeah. And they had to wait. That's why it was a mid season show yeah. because they could have cast somebody else, 
but it wouldn't it wouldn't they right. needed they needed to find somebody that would let her have the space to become right. an actress and, yeah. and yet not tamp down right. who she is and they found between Lori and John yeah and you would see great them, actors i mean the best yeah. the best they could make anything funny yeah. anything funny and it was just it was like a marvel to watch it was also because the mantra of the show was make the small big, make the big small. Yeah. We weren't writing like they're all stuck in an elevator. You know, right. We were writing like stories of family stories, right. like yeah. shit that really happened. Yeah. And there was no, you need a certain amount of laughs per page. There right. Was, just like let it happen. Yeah. Let the scene happen. And if there's no laughs, there's no laughs. Right. Is it interesting? Great. Well, that's a kind of a, uh, that must have been a fairly new thing. It was. But, well, I mean, I guess though, like, you know, with those 70s shows, like Mary Tyler Moore, Lou Grant, I mean, there were. Definitely serious episodes of there comedies. Was, there yeah. were serious episodes, but I don't think anything had this level of just be. First of all, I mean, just the look of right. Well, look family stuff was wrong. It was, yeah. it was completely different. You yeah, know, the, yeah. the, the, that they are a couple in yeah. love. They yeah. still like to have sex. Yeah. It's like that, just the visual. It's not Mary Tyler Moore. It's not, sure. you know. Right. Um, and then also, she had, ban- <laughs> she had banned the studio and the network from the stage for whatever reason. Right. So when I came in as a newbie, there were no notes. Carsey there Warner was no was, one uh, at They table were sent read. away. They were gone. Yeah. I never saw them. And we would have our table read and then we would go do our work. And yeah. she would, and it was just like, it was like a weird fucked up summer stock company because you were just doing the, the stuff. But that's nice. It is almost like theater. Everyone's involved. It it's was collaborative. It was the best until I went to a different show and I realized who uh, are the, all these people sitting around and why are we listening to them? It's like, well, that's yeah. the studio in the network and they have opinions. And I'm like, oh my God. Because I think if I had started with that, yeah. I don't know that I even would have been a Rex. I didn't want to be a writer. So how long, how many seasons were you there? I was there four seasons. That's a lot. Yeah. I was there. I, I have, I have the record. I think I have the record. Eric Gillen may have beat me by by a bit, but I, I think I have the record. And why'd you leave? It was time. It oh, was yeah. time. I was, you know, I, she once said, uh, I will never have a woman run the show because it's, it, I, it's not, it's no fun yeah. being mean to a woman. <laughs> and, and everyone who ran the show yeah. at a certain point. Yeah. She turned on them yeah. and made their lives a living hell. Right. Not the whole time. Yeah. It was like there was a certain point toward yeah. the end of the season. She's like, and now. Yeah. And, oh, really? And, and then she would usually fire them. Okay. So it was it was sort of a and I I had different interactions with them. I wrote a pilot for them because they told me I had to. With Roseanne's production company? <laughs> with Roseanne or? and Tom and they oh, it was oh for my it, God. it was for in vogue. Wow. It was it was insane. And then so, they broke up. So you stayed through all these different staffs. I mean w- comics wrote at some point. Yeah. Wasn't and, Alan Stevens in there? And, yes. Alan Stevens was not my year. The year after me, I think Alan's the year after I left, the staff started to get really big and she started to pull a lot of comics oh, okay. in. Um, when I was, was there, was that the last season or the last couple? Or mm, well, I mean, no. I mean, I was, I was, uh, I was three, four, five, six. But how long? How long did it go and on? And then for? they went to seven, eight, nine. Oh my maybe? god! Really? Yeah, it went on, and 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 then it went on to like we won the yeah. lottery and right. the train and Steven sure. Seagal and blah blah blah. But it was. But I will say, like, I think it was. If if I had been on any other show as my first job, I, I just don't know that I would have. Because writing inherently is not a fun job. I hate it. It's the worst. I hate it. It's depressing. It makes you feel bad. I hate being in a room. I hate being in front of a blank page. I agree. I agree. It's terrible. And I didn't like writer's rooms because at the time, writer's rooms were very male. And, and it wasn't even that I felt like, oh, it's so misogynistic. It was just like 
it was just like a dirty, <laughs> you know, like yeah. everyone sort of, sort of smelled weird and, you know, everyone picked up a, the trades to go in the bathroom. And it's like, I just, ugh, oh, my God. It'd be I just, just like, just sit there for hours. Yeah, Sometimes nothing happens. Just the worst. And I just, I was Eating. like. Eating. It was, it was terrible. It was, a, it's a terrible environment. So, I, so. I hated it. So after you leave though, what do you just do? You do other, just, you're, you're just around just doing episodes yeah. here and there. Well, I wrote a couple of pilots. And not realizing that, you know, I, I, I always had sort of like a, I always felt like I was going to leave. Uh-huh. Like I wasn't going to be a writer forever. Right. So I always felt like, well, I'm not really What do you think you were going to do, dance? I don't know what All I right. thought. I didn't, there was no, my, fi- my family was not big on planning. We sort of fell into stuff. Yeah, I know that. Um, yeah, I know that feeling. And yeah. so I, I kind of dicked around for a while and then I was on a couple of terrible shows that were just like, just painful yeah. to to be a part of Mo- mostly because just i just the more i learned about the backstage part of it the creepier it all got it yeah. was just like in what way well you know i was i was there when Les Moonves would come down yeah. and you know they'd go off to yeah. the, and talk about we're going to go get the Heidi girls and yeah. it's like i don't i right. really don't need i just don't want to hear it yeah. do whatever you want to do yeah. i just don't want to see it yeah. you know and the ugliness of you know, I did a show, and the woman, the creator, was a female. Yeah, uh, she was sort of a playwright, and then yeah. she did some movies and stuff like that. And she and another guy on the started to have some sort of relationship. Yeah. And, and there was a lot of them going to Benihana's, <laughs> and I'm stuck with the room. And then the studio coming to me and saying, "So tell us what's going on with them." And I'm like, you know, I'm not. I'm just. Yeah. I'm just in. I'm just writing terrible jokes in the yeah. other room. That's all you need me for. <laughs> yeah, you don't yeah. need me to. I'm not yeah, spying. Yeah. They would right. say, "Well, we need you to rewrite stuff behind their backs." And I'm like, "I'm not going to do that." Like, yeah. I just don't. Please, right? Just find someone else to do that shit. It's just not who I am. So, but that's what the business was. It was kind of gross and ugly, and and I never. I was not a staff person. I needed to either. Well, so did you like lose it? No, I just kept humping it, and then. I got on a, I got on a, a show that I I truly learned <laughs> yeah. what 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 my limits were, and I was running a room and I what show? I lobbied for the job. It was called Veronica's Closet, right? <laughs> and I lobbied for the job because I said I've got to get that executive producer credit. I got it because I got to get my own show on the air. Right. I've got to do it myself. So you knew that. I knew that. I yeah. knew that much. I yeah. said, if if this is going to take, I got to be the one. In, I've got to hold the pencil. Yeah. I can't be the person who can't who feels like I can fix it and not be allowed to fix it. There was some real crazy on that show. Yes. Okay. A- and uh, <laughs> and there was, and from many different Ron Silver oh, and Christy Alley. Oh, Ron Silver, who t- who uh, had his manager call me and said he doesn't. There was a joke about something in Yiddish, and yeah. his manager called me and said he does not want you to. Call him a Jew on yeah. the show, and I said he played Alan Dershowitz. Yeah, he got a fucking Oscar nomination as Alan Dershowitz. He's Ron Silver. <laughs> Look at him; he's a Jew. I'm gonna. What do we want me to call him? We want you to call him Armenian. Uh, okay. And I'm like, okay, all yeah. right, that's great. So okay, so you get your executive producer credit, but like, what'd you learn? It was, was horrible, and uh, I, but I didn't get to, I didn't get to pick my staff. My staff was picked. Yeah by the powers that be and I had a room full of people who all wanted to be on Friends and who did not have any interest in writing on a show for two women in their 40s who were not hot Yeah, and it was an, a, a constant litany of every pitch was a was a fat joke every 
you know, and it was just, it was constant. And it was just like, I I had no control over the room because these people weren't loyal to me. They would all like stare next door because the friend's room was next door. Oh, wow. The cool room. Yeah, The yeah. good kids were next door. Right, and like, yeah. we're in the shit room. And uh, it was just like, it was like, this wasn't even my show. And I'm like, come on. Yeah cheerleading and like yeah, ah. yeah. and I later just recently found out that one of my writers was a serial rapist for 20 years he's in jail I know that guy Eric Eric Weinberg yes yeah. yes and and the weird thing about Eric is you could look at him and know he was a serial rapist yeah I, he, I didn't know him that well but I think he wrote on Bill Maher's show yes he did right he uh bye bye yeah mm, no one misses you yeah um but it was that kind of I mean it was a toxic you know he was there, and the young men worshipped him, and they followed him, and it was just like, Eric? It was an, yeah, it was like an endless beating your head against a wall, trying to make that show something good. And he was working against you. Well, the whole system was right. Fr- frankly, the whole system was working against yeah, me. Yeah, because he was such a dick. He was a dick, but you know, Kirsty is Kirsty, and Kirsty had her own belief system, and yeah, they didn't appreciate that. Yeah. belief system but they certainly knew who she was when they got into bed well, with they, her what they just thought like well we've got you know this we've got this production company let's just you know we got these names people seem to be interested and let's... she was the biggest star I mean she's coming off of Cheers yeah. she was the biggest star she, when, when Veronica's Closet won the air she was the highest paid person on television right you know and God knows she's talented yeah She's so funny. Yeah. Kathy and Jim, they were funny people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Daryl Chill Mitchell was on that show. Yeah. He was great. I mean, they were great people on the show. The show could have been, if anybody had given a shit, it could have been something really terrific. You, the talent was right, right there. Yeah. And it drove me nuts yeah. that I'm the only one fighting for something that isn't even mine. Yeah. And it got to the point where it felt like, un- you know, unless I was going to be willing to break down and cry every single week. Yeah. This was not a, a this was not a I would come home at five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Every night. Yeah. I'd get into bed and I'd cry. Yeah. And my husband would say, You've got to quit. Yeah. You've just got to quit. I can't How long did that go on for? Uh, the whole year, the whole season. That's terrible. But I'm not a quitter. I don't I didn't want to quit. And they didn't want to fire yeah, me. Yeah, but the boy the, but that that was the expectation. Like, you know, that people would stay all night yeah. and then take abuse from executives. It was the worst. It was absolutely horrible. It was the worst experience of my life. And I will say, like, I, I, I thought David Crane was a, a delightful man. And yeah. I think he's very talented. And I appreciated any time that he was in the room. Yeah. But they weren't in this room. Yeah. And and I so I had people actively working against me outside of the room. I mean, they, they literally hired my replacement mid-season. I was in the trades. And yeah. I'm showing up to work. And I'm saying, like, you know, guys... Could you hide it from me like a right. little bit? Because yeah. I'm still humping this show till five o'clock in the morning every fucking night. Could you maybe just pretend? Could you hold the announcement just like a month? Maybe right. it was just it was just so awful. It's abusive. It was abusive. Yeah, it was abusive, and it was the kind of thing where the first day I got the job, a couple of the of writers of other shows of theirs, not Veronica's Closet, but they had two other shows going. They took me out for drinks, and they just and they just told me like it's it's a it's an evil place and it's horrible. Yeah. And I wanted to not believe that. I wanted to say, like, let me have my own experience. What, all of the shows or just that one? The system. The umbrella. The oh, system. Yeah. Yes, okay, yeah, The yeah, system yeah. was not a, yeah, a yeah. warm, fuzzy system. Right, sure. It was a, a system that you were going to have to, like, you know, get 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 some therapy. So this, for. like, you know, upon your realization of, you know, what was going on behind the scenes, this was, like, the, the hitting of bottom. It was. And yeah. I just thought, you know what, this is not for me. I don't want to 
be in this world. I don't like this world. I don't want to be in this room. I just started like sending them home and I would just finish the script by myself. And there were a couple of girls that I, I that were great. Yeah. And they would sometimes stick around and help. But it was just, it was easier for like get most of the joke pitching done, send everybody home. And I would just sit there till six and I would just get it done yeah. because it was too ugly. It was too ugly. And then knowing that Friday was going to come, they were going to, they were the only, they were going to appear. They were yeah. going to see the run through. They were going to throw the script out because they threw it out every time we had to run through everything like that. Yeah. And then we were going to work all night again. And Friday night was the night that I was always called into the room to be told what I have done wrong yeah. in the week. Yeah. And that's one particular Friday. I just said, look, if this is going to be one of those meetings, yeah. can we do it Monday morning? Because yeah. I've just got such a rewrite to do. Yeah. And they said, okay, we'll see you Monday. And so Monday morning I came in and it happened on Monday. But like at, over that weekend, that was the weekend I decided, look, I can't, I'm not going to cry anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. Yeah. I'm not going to have somebody wait for me to cry, pick up a tissue box and hand it to me and go, we all cry here. Yeah. It's like, why? <laughs> We're doing fucking comedy. Why are we all crying here? It's a terrible thing to do. Yeah. So I quit sitcom. I said to my husband, I can't do it yeah. anymore. And he says, great, don't do it. Yeah. He, he was working on Family Guy. He goes, sit at home, figure yeah. out what you want to do. And what did you? I sat at home and I wrote Gilmore Girls. That's what you did? Hmm? I sat at home. Courtney Love was dating Edward Norton. Yeah. She was renting a place across the street from me. So I would just sit. I would sit at my couch and at three o'clock he would come up and she would run out of the house. Was that where, where some sort like of laundry, Whitley Hills or somewhere? Like um, the Larchmont yeah. oh, okay. area. And then I would just sit there and watch them for, they seemed very happy together yeah. for, for, for a moment. <laughs> yeah. And then I wrote Gilmore Girls and, uh, and that was. And he sold it with your husband? Or was that just you? That was just me. Yeah. I, I, you know, I went in for a meeting at the WB and yeah. I said, I have this. And I, uh, Susan, who had been trying to get me in there for a while. And, yeah. And I said, well, here's my pitches. Yeah. And I said, there's a mother and daughter and they're more like friends. She goes, I want that. Yeah. And I wanted it to be an hour. And I said, I don't, I'm half hour. What you, an hour? What is that? Just more pages? Yeah. I'm like, what? It's a single spacing. It's like, oh, that's, hour sounds really hard. That's a lot of pages. But fuck it. You know, it's, what did I know? I know anything. So I uh. sat at home and I wrote Gilmore Girls and, and I've had my own show. And for a long time, a very popular yeah, show. Yeah, it was good. And it, and it holds up? I guess so. Because when it went on Netflix, that's actually when it really gained most of its audience. It always had like a, like a, Fan base. How many seasons was it? Six? Six, seven seasons. Seven. Seven seasons. That's I great. wasn't there the last season, but it was it was seven seasons. But like, because I know I, I dated a woman who was obsessed with it, but I mean, she would watch it all day long. It happens a lot. And it's a very big cancer show. So I cannot tell you how many letters I got that said, I watched this with my mother yeah. while she was going through chemo. I mean, like stacks and stacks. Makes them feel better? I didn't, I guess. And I would say to Lauren I and Graham, and she would say... Our motto should have been Gilmore Girls were bigger than cancer because she yeah. got the same things. It was like it was a a show that if anybody was going through either medical or divorce yeah. or heartache yeah. or something, it was it was the sort of the go to comfort food well, for that's that. Great, which is uh, it's a, are you kidding? It's amazing. It's, it's amazing thing. that young people are still into a show where there's no social media, there's no cell phones until like midway through the show. There was yeah. no answering machines. Right. And I think they had a pager, like like uh -huh. a drug dealer that they walked around with yeah. so they could communicate a little bit. It was it was really- And uh, Melissa McCarthy. And Melissa McCarthy, <laughs> who took over for Alex Borstein, who was supposed to be no kidding. Suki. That was the way it was, that happened? I think she told me that. Yeah, yeah, but the Mad TV wouldn't let her out. I just, I just work with Melissa. I love her. Yeah, Melissa's very talented. So funny. 
Yeah. It's just like so funny. Yeah. She's just one of those people that can be so immediately funny on purpose. It's baffling. Yeah. There, it's, there's not many of them. But she's also, you know, like Alex, like she's somebody who has remarkable acting chops. Yeah. You know, and yeah. always had them. Like yeah. that's something that developed. Like she yeah. had them day one. Yeah, yeah. So that was a great run. So you landed. Good run. Yeah. So, but you clearly after that, you wanted to do more. Well, what else am I going to do? I'm trained for know. nothing. I have no children. I know, but like, I, I, have no, I don't either. I, I have nothing to do if I'm not working. There's just nothing. See, like, I don't like, I, do? I don't have that. Like, for me, it's like the idea of working. Is horrible. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I do comedy. I do this. I do, you know, the acting gigs here and there. And I, you know, I, I do stuff. I work all the time. But the idea of, of getting involved with a TV show is a big fucking it, it's undertaking. It's huge. It's huge. And it's like, it's like, that's going to be your life. That's it. Yes. Yeah, and it is your life, and yeah. and if and, the, and if your life is and if that and if it's great, then your life is terrific. And right. If it's horrible, then your life is horrible. And and, but you know, I was, I've always sort of been able to like my whole career has been weird. Yeah. Like the one time I focused on something and said I want this and went after it. Yeah. Was the worst time of my entire life. It was that it was that job that Veronica's closet job yeah. that that. Forced me yeah. to, but you also give up. knew that you needed something to get where you wanted to get, and you hadn't gotten it yet. You said that you wanted the executive producer credit, yeah, so I, you could have some. I I thought that's what I needed, but I think actually what I needed was to stop doing sitcom, and and so it it because sitcom was not my future. Right, so the format of Gilmore Girls was something different. Was that what the dramedy? It was. It was. I don't know what you call it, but, but an hour. But you. But it. It didn't require the endless pitching in rooms. No joke. It, it not joke to joke to joke. Yeah, it right. was just. It, and and frankly, when Gilmore came on, the WB didn't quite know what to do with it because it didn't quite fit the Dawson's Creek thing, and yeah. it wasn't Superman, and it wasn't Buffy. It, yeah. it didn't really. And and the star was. A thirty-two-year-old woman, which was way out of their demographic at that time. Yeah, you know they—they right. they, if if you if you were menstruating, they had no interest in you. They really <laughs> wanted them young, yeah. so it was just sort of like. But there was something about just being able to write something that was purely like whatever I wanted to do, and and because Gilmore came in, Gilmore came in under the radar that paid nothing for it. They sent us off to Canada. They had bigger problems. They had a couple of those big Bruckheimer shows or something that were yeah. blowing up all over the place. And and by the time they paid attention to Gilmore, uh, we got a lovely review. I mean, they 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 just didn't really focus on it. And right. then and then they started to focus on. It. There was a little bit of bullshit back and forth. There was a, the 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 normal stuff where they call you at the beginning before you've premiered and they say, "Oh, we just want you to know we're very." The network's very angry and disappointed. And I said, well, I'm, I'm, I don't know what to tell you. I'm sorry yeah. about that. Yeah. Would you like to call my mother? You two can commiserate. <laughs> have a lovely conversation. And it happened quite a bit. And then finally I said, look, you guys, you can fire me. I ha I'm happy to be fired. Yeah. Or you can never call me again. Because what I can't do, I, I just, just know. <laughs> I'm not going to be abused. But it's a blanket. I yeah. understand you're angry and yeah. disappointed. Just know right. the message has been received. Yeah. So you can, but you have, you have many different ways you can go. So just. Tell me what it is. And they kind of went away for a while. And then we got a beautiful review in the Times and and they sent me flowers. And that was it. And I never heard from them again. It was great. And they, they didn't give me notes because they didn't. So you didn't hear from them again? Never for heard from them again. Five years? No. Six nothing, years? Nothing. It was complete. It was great. Complete yeah. science. We just worked in a very tiny, in our, our own little vacuum. We took over the back lot. Yeah. We walked around, walked those girls around circles in Burbank. Yeah. And then... Uh, and that was the right atmosphere for me. Just like 
complete megalomania, just a very, like, don't bother me. Yeah. If you don't like it, tell me to go away. Yeah. I will leave quietly. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, I just really... Well, what did happen what, with the last season? Well, the last season, our contract was up. Yeah. And um, we were very burnt out because we had been writing every script. After five or six? We were six. Okay. We were six, six seasons. Yeah. And we went to Warner Brothers and we yeah. said, we would like... We don't we we don't need more money ourselves, but we need more writers, and we need a directing producer on set. Yeah, we need that. We just have to have that. Yeah, to if remain. we're going to do another one. Yeah, yeah. And they said no. Yeah. Because they were used to us doing everything. Yeah. And, and we were kind of like, okay, well. Yeah. Okay, and yeah. we left, and we left, and they had they had another season, and yeah. I've never seen it, but but Lauren Graham would call me once a week and say, I just want to read to you what I'm saying this week because like oh, it was because yeah. Lauren's character was a character everybody was afraid of they were afraid to write that character and i don't know why yeah you know lauren graham is smart and sharp and yeah. it's like it's not a mystery yeah what she's good yeah. at so right. i i never quite understood and she couldn't understand what the new writers were doing no because she was setting up for everybody else they made uh, her like the straight man she, uh, you know she was judd hirsch yeah and everybody else was uh, you know because that's DeVito. what they knew how to do yeah so after that there's just a couple more what happened to the return of Jezebel James? Oh, my God. Well, the, the, like... the last strike happened. Uh, I went to New York. Because that I, was like Parker Posey, that right? That was Parker Posey and Lauren Ambrose, two unbelievably great, talented people, yeah. but they work so differently. Like, oh, really? that was not a match made. Because Parker, I don't know if you've so ever met Parker. Wire. Yeah, I did. Parker is all here. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And Parker will sometimes, like, she would be rehearsing and she would stop and she wouldn't tell you why she was stopping. Yeah. And she would just, you would see her mind working and then she would just go back. Yeah. And start at some point in the, without telling anybody else. So nobody knew where they were supposed to be. Like, but that was just her. Very present. Thing. Yeah. yeah. She was just like this. Yeah. A lot of headstands. Yeah. Cried every day at four o'clock. Every yeah. day at four o'clock, she'd, I'd have to hold, I've never held anyone so much in my life, but just <laughs> crying. It's like, oh, it's four. Okay. But she's just very like, you know, and yeah. Lauren is very, but yeah. why? But why? Yeah. But why is that funny? But right. why am I doing well, it that? Well, it way? seems like if you see them as characters, yeah, that they should work. But this is who they were. It's, it's people, right? And both so talented. Yeah. And, and if they could have found a way to judge together, yeah, I think it could have been really great. Yeah. But the writer strike happened, so uh, like, and then it was it was sort of like we're and then done. It just gets disappears. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and then we went on the line and we walked around with. And then signs. like bunhead, the bunheads was for your mom. Bunheads. <laughs> Uh, that's how, that's where you got your dancing thing in. I got the dancing thing in. I got to work with Sutton Foster, yeah. who is my dream and my everything. I love yeah. her so much. Um, and that was, it was a hot second of, of like, literally I gave Capizios my credit card and said, just keep the shoes coming because yeah. we had talk about no money, like yeah. nothing, yeah. nothing at all. Who was it for? Who um, it was for ABC family. Which huh. does not exist anymore. They're called Freeform now. And it was a dance class, a dance school. Yeah, it was about show. A, 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 a dance class, the dance school. Wait, wait, so you're going to ABC Family. You made a fortune off of Gilmore Girls. You're a big hit. You can do whatever you want. And then this was a passion project, or you thought like what? Just you need, knew. I just need to do my shit. I, All right. I don't want to deal. Like deals freak right. me out. Right, right, right. I don't want to. Like we're under a deal now at Amazon, and although. I, or are we? I don't know because I think they're getting rid of all their deals now because of the strike. But we but were you're under done a deal. with. This is the end of Maisel, right? I know, but we were under a deal. So, okay, like okay. the thing is, when you're under a deal, you owe them your 
blood and your life. And okay. I, I just sort of like. So you don't. It's it's a matter of the work. Yeah. 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 I mean, look, I don't. I've I've made delightful money. I have a very comfortable sure. lifestyle. I live in New York. Yeah. All I ever wanted to do was live in New York. Yeah. So I I don't you know like I said when you don't have kids that's a huge what was that choice. I just sort of felt like the madness needed to stop with me. I feel uh, like it was time to sort of break the cycle. Yeah. I don't know. I just, it was, I think that what I do is very narcissistic. Yeah. It's very much yeah. what I And need, you like doing it. And I'm, and you're and I'm immersed. Good at, and I just don't know how great I would be. Right responsible for another human to right well i mean that's sort of the, the, the issue me. that mazel has yeah and yeah. what she got criticized for yeah yeah i mean complete i mean we but the, people just had him then rachel and i talked about this because yeah. I, I you know were and and god love rachel because she's so brave yeah she didn't give a shit yeah like she was surprised as i was that it was such an issue but she felt like well yes this woman is a complete narcissist it, it's Gotta be, and and if you want to reach the heights she wanted to reach, you got to leave home. Yeah, you can't take the kids with you. So where are we at? It's almost over, right? That's done. Okay, it's hard. It's Isn't bad. It? Well, it's like family, right? It this cast. Yeah, Shaloub's so sweet. Was the it was we, we had a weird, um, weird bonding. Yeah, like a really like after five years, we never there was no. <laughs> I've had enough of you. Yeah, like, and and when the word came down. It was very hard. Like we were very. What do you very, mean it came down? That it was last year. But who said that? You? No. Oh, no shit. No, it wasn't me. But things come to an end. I understand but that. I thought it was so successful. Yeah, but you know, there's orcs to pay for. There's a lot of orcs running around. They got to pay no for the shit. orcs. Maisel was a very expensive show by the end. It was very, I mean, all those, the all those bells amazing. and whistles. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Cost, you know, doing period shows are very expensive. It's not just. It's not just the cars and the dresses and the right. sets. Yeah. It's it's all the work afterwards, taking out all the modern stuff. Yeah, the VHI, I mean the the special effects are special. You wouldn't think we were a special effects show. We got no dragons. But, but but aside from that, like okay, you know, granted, you've been on shows that have gone on multiple years, mm-hmm. and you know, even Gilmore Girls after six. I mean, it sounds like in other in in other words, it could have been done. So is there a part of you that feels like you've told this story? Well, once we knew that the yeah. once we knew, we looked at that fifth season very differently. Right. And and it, we had a fifth season plan that was not this fifth season. Right. It was a fifth season that was sure to go on. Well, I mean you had you had decades that yeah. you could have gone on. Yeah. <laughs> so you could this show could have ended up with the beginning of hacks. Yeah. Something it, it, and, and she turns into yeah. after some terrible plastic surgery, she's taller. Yeah. And right. she's Well, you know what I mean. And she could have like, you know, gone through generations of comedy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We did we touched on that in the fifth season. Yeah. You know. Um but we 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 looked at the fifth season like, okay, let's 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 land the plane. Yeah. And let's land it. You know, and because halfway through the fifth season, people started saying, Well, I mean, what about a reboot? What about, I'm like, oh my god, just let me land the plane. Yeah, <laughs> please right, reboot. Right. Let, let me let me make sure that if people liked the show and if people watched the show, that at the end they feel like their journey was has closed. Yeah, absolutely. That was that was yeah. very important to, oh, great. to me. So well, that's like, good. yeah, I, I'm. It's it's. I was very lucky. I'm. I, my whole career, I've been very lucky. I yeah. fell into this. Yeah. I didn't seek it out, and I. I, I've worked with such 
great people, and I I'm I'm just very lucky. I'm I'm so lucky to to be where I am right now. And I as as sad as I am to, and also we were like we were gonna like do a panel on Monday, and we were all gonna be back together yeah. again. And then it's like, and we're on strike. And it's like, uh, and we're not there. Yeah. But so it's it's a bummer, and I miss them desperately. I'm I just miss seeing them every single day. But I had I had something that a lot of people go their whole career and they don't have. So yeah. I I'm super lucky. That's great. Yeah. And uh, well, I'm sad, but I'm also happy. It sounds like a bittersweet thing. Yeah. Now, wh- what do you think of Broadway? I th- I am worried about Broadway. <laughs> but I mean, what do you think about doing Broadway? Uh, I would love to do Broadway. Broadway is is, and I've I've toyed with it. I've I've stepped my foot into it. it feels like times. it's where you should go. I I want to, <laughs> but not in a bad way. Well, I I want to do it. I it, it sounds like you have a, it feels like you have a Broadway show in you. Well, thank you. I I need to clear out. You need to clear. You need to clear stuff out because Broadway takes decades. It takes it takes so long to mount a Broadway show, huh. and there's so much work that goes into it. Huh. And I'm not afraid of that work. It's yeah. just I haven't. Broadway's not something you slip in. Sure. In between seasons, right? Broadway is something you turn to, and you go, "Okay, I'm here. I'm down. You can I'm build good. this thing." Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm tipping my toe into a little mm. something now. Um, I love live theater more than anything. I, I just think there's nothing like it, yeah. and it's great. And I, I worry that I want Broadway to come back full force. Yeah. There, it's still not. It's back still not. Yet. It's not back yet. The, the audiences aren't back. You know, everything's not back yet. Yeah, you know? and you, sure. And Broadway, there's no, like, you know, you need butts and seats. You need people to come Yeah, yeah, and, and get sit. these sort of amusement and, park ride shows. Yeah, and, yeah. it's, 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 uh, hmm. and the, and a lot of, like, the smaller, more interesting shows get shoved out still, yeah. you know, so I'm glad that they, the they, I think they figured out a way for the Tonys to go on because the Tonys, unlike the Emmys yeah. and the Oscars, sure. the Tonys are their lifeblood because Tonys can save a show because right. because people will watch a performance and go, oh, that looks interesting. I'll go see that. Um, it's not the same yeah. for the others. Right. So it literally saves sure. lives and yeah. careers yeah. and shows. And yeah. uh, Beetlejuice was failing and they went on the Tonys and they had a huge- Good run. Good. And then suddenly they're like packed and people are coming to see it. So it, it, it's, a, it's a life or death thing. So- they're doing the Tonys this yeah. year. I think that's important. Yeah. It's really, really great. Um, it's a, it's a great and and theater people are the best. Yeah, sure. Because they yeah. work harder than anybody else in the entire world. And it's also immediate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's right. I, and it's different every time. I yeah. mean, there's something. It's interesting, like watching comedy on Netflix yeah. and things because it's 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 fun to do, but it's not sitting in a club where right. something can go wrong. Sure. And it was interesting when. The, the latest Chris Chris Rock special, yeah. and I've since heard that maybe they've fixed it, but where yeah. he, everything was driving toward this one joke. And it didn't go. And he- Fucked it up. He fucked it up. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't watch was, it, yeah. There was something kind of great about that moment. Because sure. it reminded you, oh, wait a minute, this is a live oh, yeah. animal. Man, people used to tank all the time. Yep. Like, you know, it used to be something to watch. It's yeah. like that story you told about that guy who was- you know, sweet at the beginning of the night, yeah, but by the time he went on, it was a fucking know. disaster. <laughs> it's great. I mean, there's a sense of danger in theater. There's yeah. a sense of danger in comedy. The yeah. sense of danger is something that, you know, when you do TV, when you do movies, yeah. you can you can get yeah, rid yeah. of the danger. Of course, yeah. You know, and the danger's fun. Well, I hope you do something. Well, we'll see. Nice talking to you. I'm trying. Thank you for having me. 
Okay, there you go. That was exciting, lively. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel comes to an end tomorrow night, May 26th on Prime Video. You can watch all five seasons now. Hang out for a minute, will you? Folks, we've got a special treat this week for Full Marin listeners. We pulled out some old segments of the show that not a lot of people have heard with guests that made people at the time uh, say, what the fuck? Were the ends well-defined or were they blobby? The, the ends, I don't, I didn't spend a lot of time looking at it. Now maybe I, I should I look at it and call you back? No, no, you can, you can just try to remember it. Oh, yeah, it was, yeah. It, it was good. The it more was, you talk about it, the better. It was, it was, you know, I just, I pinched it off. And it had a nice, a nice uh, tail on it. Okay. Was the tail? Was it fluffy with ragged edges? Right, wait, the tail. This, this is getting me was a little uncomfortable. It? I mean, I, I'm playing along here, but okay. So now we're on like the sixth question about the the shit. That's what people who are homebound have to talk about. That and that is also very common. That's basically what unites us. Hey man, you're okay. You cool? You're cool. I mean, you're cool. Wow. Fuck. Yeah. Fuck. Okay. All right. Just just breathe, dude. Yeah. Just breathe, bro. Hey, man. I can only breathe out. No, no, no. You can just pull in. Pull in. Pull in. No, no, just pull in. Yeah. No, no, no. Now do both. One to the other. After the... Okay. That's... that's all right. Yes, uh, Senor Juarez, do you have a question for me or uh, yes. El Chupacabra? Uh, Mark Mario, yes. why don't you believe in God? I, because I, I just don't find uh, that that uh, I have a need to believe in God. Well, what happened when you die? Nothing. Wow. Is he all right? Hello? Hello? Oh, that's a shame. I think Senor <laughs> Juarez. I think Singapore I just found out what was about to happen to him. <laughs> and we've had our first death on the air by caller on a show that has never taken calls before. This is a tremendous experience. Oh. I recorded some of my thoughts and memories of those clips as well. These were things that only happened during the first year of the show and only about a dozen times. To hear that bonus episode, plus all the weekly bonus material, as well as all WTF episodes ad-free. Click on the link in the episode description to sign up for the full Marin on WTF+. Plus. You can also go to WTFPod.com and click on the WTF Plus tab at the top of the page. All right? Put a will together. Get your ass checked. It's my new record. Here's some guitar.
Boomer lives. Monkey. LaFonda. Cat angels everywhere, all right? All right? All right? 